You're tuned in to the NWSL Rewinds, presented by Modern Soccer Coach. That's what you call USA razzle-dazzle. Now your host, Clifton Bush. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the NWSL Rewind Week 4, brought to you by Modern Soccer Coach. This week we have a big show with lots of games to cover and a great interview at the end, so stay tuned for that. Portland Thorns strength and conditioning coach Garga Caserta. He'll be talking about how to improve the whole player and some things that they do with their staff at the Thorns. We've got with us, as always, Sierra joining us, co-hosting, as well as a new co-host for the day, Dustin Downey. How you doing, Dustin? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. So, Dustin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Let the people know who you are uh, and what your... Uh, your connection to the NWSL is. Okay. Well, uh, you know, like I said, Dustin Downey, currently the uh, assistant coach at Western Kentucky university with the women's soccer program. Um, and so I think, uh, obviously been coaching on the, on the women's side now for, for several years here at this university. And I think that would be my main connection with the, um, with the league is obviously I'm trying to develop players and, and uh, they can go on and play at that level. Um, there has been one player who has come out of this uh, program who uh, actually started out her careers overseas and then ended up with the Boston Breakers uh, under coach Matt Beard. It was uh, Libby Stout. Um, so Libby is a Kentucky native as well and was in school when I was in school here. So um, obviously been supporting her and following her and uh, she's now uh, retired, but uh, got to see her here this weekend uh, at the alumni weekend here at on campus so that was good and uh she's still out playing um but yeah um you know and, and obviously for those who don't know uh, uh became uh, acquaintances and friends with uh, clifton uh, over the last year or so when we were uh you know doing our license and stuff here with the federation so uh, you know that's how that's how i managed to to connect with clifton here and uh, excited about being on the show with uh and sierra yeah grinding it out uh trying to out in Raleigh, trying to get that license situation going. Um, Dustin, Dustin's been a great guy. He's he's been out, and we'll catch him. We'll get all the Twitter accounts and all that stuff at the end here. But Dustin's been been trying to kill it on Twitter here, putting out a lot of match analysis for some national team games and getting uh, just information and content about uh, our our games and our teams out there. So we'd love to have Dustin here today. Appreciate you coming. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. So we have midweek games, which means a lot of stuff to cover this week in not a lot of time. So Sierra is going to give us uh, kind of a bit of a rundown on our midweek matches. All right, guys. So uh, for Wednesday, we had two games. Um, we had North Carolina and Seattle and then Chicago and Houston. Um, with North Carolina, Seattle game it was 1-0. Uh, North Carolina won. Uh, McDonald scored a nice goal. Um, I think, you know, North Carolina, as you guys all know, I am a huge fan. Um, and I think they've just done a very good job of finishing out games. No matter what the possession ratio is, percentage, whatever, I think that they have a tendency just offensively to have an edge. Um, and you have McDonald and Don that are just crazy good in the front line. Um, and they do all just finishing their chances. Um, I think Seattle did a good job of hanging on. Um, and I actually think they outpossessed North Carolina most of the match. Um, they just couldn't get that goal. Um, but I do think North Carolina, again, they just have that edge. They do a good job of finishing um, their chances and finishing games out. So um, that was a good start and a good win for them to pick up. Um, and then we had the Chicago-Houston game, um, which Chicago, I think, just looked incredible that game. Uh, they won 3-0, um, an own goal seven minutes in. Um, and then Caskey got a goal 11 minutes in. And then obviously Huerta, who we all love on the show, uh, 74 minutes in with a brilliant goal. So I think that uh, they've done a really good job there. And I think you could kind of start to – you're starting to see that stride of that offensive power come in. And I've obviously when we get more into the other games as well, We'll talk a little bit more about it, but I think you're starting to really see a Chicago team that's coming together and finishing games well. Yeah, I think it's – and it will lead into kind of their weekend match. When you look at them, they – Chicago and North Carolina both played three games, eight days. Makes it a bit of a – physically a tough road to go, but that midweek match – 
even though they only had two, three days rest, you're talking about being able to play in the cold and freezing and just still really get a good mentality to go out. But they definitely are coming into a form. Those Chicago games, when they're playing against teams that aren't necessarily super high-pressing units. So it would be interesting to see how they play against the North Carolina in keeping the ball, moving the ball, starting with Alyssa Nair and working their way through that back line. We'll see whether or not Coach Dames is is keen to kind of keep that ball in that close to their own goal when the pressure is going to be coming super, super, super high. Um, I mean, I think you'll probably find that in the Washington game coming this week as well. It's super high pressure from Pew and Hatch. So those are going to be interesting coaching changes. But for the Chicago Sky Blue game, I mean, Chicago in the first half, obviously Huerta scoring, whether, you know, there was some uh, that was argued whether it was a shot or a cross. I'm going to always give the benefit of the doubt to Huerta and say uh, if she hit it towards the goal, she was probably trying to put it in. So I'm going to go that route (laughs) for me personally. So, but first minute goal for Huerta and basically controlling the entire first half, uh, being able to counter press New Jersey in a way that really put the back four on their heels. They weren't able to get out across their own half line and the press came on, and the second that it was lost, Chicago was able to find feet at an advancing runner. Uh, obviously, having Yuki Nagasato playing has been, you know, something for them, for Chicago, that's been desperately needed That when she wasn't there for the first couple of games. And so her ability to get on the ball, find a player underneath, turn, uh, find wide players, whether that is Huerta, um, whether that's an oncoming uh, Gilliland, those are has those plays have really moved Chicago higher and higher up the the points list. Absolutely, and I think you know um, with New Jersey, I think you have you know I think way to at least keep it as a tie because I do think uh, in that particular game I think Chicago outplayed them, um, but I think for them to pick up a point is good on their part. Um, I think defensively, um, they had too low of pressure. And especially when you have, I mean, you, I know it was only a minute in, but I think in general, you know, you have Huerta on the field, you can't low press them. You've got, you have got to be touch tight to her at all times and you cannot give her room to shoot or do whatever she feels needed. Um, but with their goal, I think offensively, I think Carly Lloyd, I don't think she did much on the ball per se, but I do think her runs off the ball and her fitness in general with that team has helped open up spaces and create chances for that team. And I think, in my opinion, I think the only reason McCaskill really gets that goal is Carly Lloyd makes a beautiful diagonal run in behind and stretches that Chicago defense a little bit and then opens a lane where McCaskill can get in there and score her first NWSL goal. So I think that they've created a little bit of gaps there, but I think they're going to have to, if they want to continue and pick up more points, they're going to have to press a little bit more on on the defensive side. And offensively, they're going to have to create more um, in the final third. Yeah, I mean, it's a good goal by McCaskill. I think it was probably one of the few, maybe two or three, times where Chicago got unbalanced. Yep. Chicago was actually very good defensively in keeping shape, keeping yep. even with attacking fullbacks, they've still been able to keep the central channel very, yep. very tight. The one time it didn't work. And as you said, Lloyd, you know, kind of goes right to left into a oh. you know, into a kind of a half space. And all of a sudden there's room for McCaskill to score. Some mm-hmm. of that, I mean, you're looking at Johnson with a pregame yep. injury. So your center back has played for all of your first four games or yeah, your first four games has now mm-hmm. isn't in the lineup. So communication, whether there's a little bit of a lapse and yeah. just slight communication. And, and it, I don't think it can be understated that the goal was scored in the 78th minute. And yep. that was Chicago's third, you know, like that's yep. the third match in eight days. And they were 12 minutes away from what could have been nine points over that time frame. So yep. Tired legs, you know, missing yeah. your starting center back. Yep. I think 
the the circumstances weren't really in Chicago's favor. So overall, I think it, you know it's a good game for them to Absolutely. to work out at the end of their you know seven points on on nine is not too yeah. shabby. Nope, I agree a hundred percent. And I think I mean I think you've got to also think too with New Jersey like. I think as time goes, they've got to continue to find their rhythm. They're a newer team. You know, they've got to continue to kind of piece the pieces together. Um, but I, like I said, I do think Chicago just – they looked they looked better. Even in their third game, they just looked more complete as a team. Um, and I think they're just getting better and better as time goes. And that's without Sam Kerr. <laughs> so get ready. <laughs> yeah, we keep we've we've said it every week, right? Like we're waiting yeah. with Sam Kerr, Sam Kerr. Next Hopefully next, next week, week, I would imagine. Yeah, I'd imagine we will see Sam Kerr coming up against the game against Washington. And Absolutely. speaking of Washington, uh one one versus Portland. Uh Dustin, your thoughts on on the Portland Washington match? Yeah, I think uh, first off, I mean, I got to give kudos to uh, to the to the Portland Timbers uh, and the Portland Thorns fans. Just the the fans there. I mean, the the stadium was pretty electric, and I I think it was uh, it was a really exciting game. Not just uh, for me, you know, watching, but I'm sure for the players as well. Uh, pretty electric crowd there, and so that was pretty cool. Um, definitely thought the game was um, was well played by both sides. Um, but I did think uh, it was a bit of a tell, uh, a two halves. I thought uh, Washington came out the stronger team in the first half. Um, I think their their front six um, between Pew and Hatch and uh, Ordega kind of playing up top, but really causing uh, the Thorns some problems uh, in the in the first half, uh, especially um, with uh, Houston and and, and Darty Howard and Sullivan sitting in behind them. They were really pushing those six players. I think pretty high in the attack and, and I thought they were creating a majority of chances early and then at the same time I think uh, with them pushing those numbers forward and, and playing a little bit higher up I thought that the um, that the, the Thorns really had trouble kind of getting out um, at times um, which was which I thought was also interesting based on kind of the formation between the two um, that I thought that um, I thought that the Thorns would be able to kind of get out a little bit easier um, based on maybe some width that uh, that Washington didn't have, but um, it looked like Washington's outside backs uh, between uh, who was it uh, Dasco and uh, Smith were kind of pushing higher up in there as well. Really kind of closed down um, Purse and Weber for um, for the Thorns and didn't really allow them to to, to do much out wide. Um, I thought. Um, yeah, I mean, and overall, I thought that uh, Washington's ability to kind of win the ball back quickly and then break out in those quick counters um, really threw, threw Portland uh, on their heels a little bit early in that first half. But, um, you know, kind of open it up to, to you all as well. I, I know you all watched the game. I was I was a little um, maybe baffled and I – mean, maybe not baffled, but just maybe unsure of Sinclair's role in that first half, kind of playing in that 10 spot a little bit behind. It was – kind of three, four, three, but I felt like she held back a little bit more um, into more of a 10 roll. And I wasn't really sure what, why. Yeah. It, it, so for me, Sinclair is obviously, I think in the midfield now without a Tobin Heath is yeah. acting kind of in that pivot role on the attack. And so Haran and Bure check so far deep. Yeah. <laughs> towards the back three um, that somebody has to kind of be in that high space. And so yeah. for me, it's Sinclair's job to make sure that there's a pivot point for the attack with, and Weber being, I mean, that, that was Weber's first go as a, you know, as a wide back there, I think having somebody who can control switch the point of the attack and move the ball side to side so that they can go forward is yeah. necessary. Otherwise, I think if she was playing higher, say like a nine with Anumo and Lucy as sevens and elevens, now you're looking at just a massive gap that Andy Sullivan could have just yeah. annihilated in. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's it's making sure that there's just some of the central channel is locked down defensively for counters as well yeah. as there's somebody to play a pivot role. Mm-hmm. It was interesting because this is the first game that Midge Purse, I thought, didn't really get out and get at like Didasco really held her home 
in yeah. a way that hadn't happened in previous matches. I mean, Mitch Purse has probably been one of the brightest standouts, I think, in, in the league so far. And so with Didasco really did a number to lock her in and stop the ability for them to find have Sinclair find person, have Sinclair find a Numino and get it around into person high areas. And so I felt like that was for her. I mean, Didasco had tons of interceptions in this match. So I think for me, that was part of their inability to find as many scoring opportunities as they, as Portland has in the previous games. Yeah. Well, and for, for me and, and maybe Sierra can speak on it as well, but you know, Sinclair, one of the, the, the greatest, you know, female players of, of all time, she's got to be in there. I think and that, I really felt like her role in that game and, and the impact she had in the first half was pretty limited, um, you know, and I, and it's again, based on the lineups and kind of, I thought, um, you know, Washington more in a four, three, three, maybe didn't have the, the width and, and maybe pushing Sinclair a little bit higher into more of a, could be more of an impact player up top and then maybe create some more space out wide for purse to, to have a little bit more, you know, damaging effect on, on the opponent as well as Weber out wide. But, um, I just felt Sinclair kind of sitting back and dropping in. They they kind of marked her out of the game a little bit, and balls were being played behind her and over top. And they're trying to let um, you know Anumanu um, um, and 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 uh, was it Lucy? I think um, try to chase after that. So she didn't really like have have much of a role in that first half. So yeah, I, you know, I don't know what you think. No, I agree with you. I think it's also curious because I think I want to say in the second half because they had a they had two PKs. And uh, Sinclair obviously finished the first one. Um, and then the second one, Haran actually had to take. Um, and they were saying, because the, the question obviously came up, well, why didn't Sinclair take the PK? Yeah. <laughs> and um, the answer, I think, was is that she was that something like she had gotten hurt and she couldn't take the PK. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious to if that maybe played a little bit of a role into it as well, is that you know maybe we're not pushing her as much just because – that maybe she needs to sit in that hole and kind of hold some space because maybe she's not as mobile or wasn't as mobile at the time. Um, but I do think that, you know, that calls a little bit into question kind of the role there. I do also think Moran does a really good job of holding a little deeper and that gives Sinclair some run that, that gives Sinclair a little bit more room, I think, to run around and do her thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then also gives it an opportunity. I think they work well together where, Horan can be released at times and Sinclair can almost cover her in behind as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and touching on, I mean, uh, like I said, Washington scored a pretty scrappy goal um, the first half yeah. and took the lead. And, and like you mentioned, they, they, um, Portland ended up getting a, a late penalty kick in the end of the first half to kind of take it one, one and one and a half time. Um, and, and I think kind of touching based on what you said, going into the second half, uh, we were talking about Sinclair and kind of her role, but they did bring in Heath, um, late in, in kind of early, I guess, in the mid, 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 probably midway through the second half. And I thought that really changed the, the tide of the game for, for Portland. And I thought uh, kind of pushing Sinclair into a little bit different role and allowing Tobin to really be more of that playmaker really yeah. kind of changed the game and, and allowed both of those players to, to make more of an impact on the match. And, um, you know, even though uh, the game ended in a tie, I thought Portland really um, – I thought they were going to pull it out especially when they made those changes in the second half and brought in – and uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Is it Sigournovich? Uh, I pronounce her name. She also came in the second half for them, and I thought she was really good. Um, she came in for Lucy. You know how to pronounce the name? Yeah, I don't know that I could uh, do a better job than what you're doing right now. Sigournovich? Yeah. Yes. Sorry. That's, that's the name I'm looking for. I, yeah, I thought that. she was probably the catalyst for that second half. Hundred yeah. percent. That, and it actually, re, she reminded me a lot of Young's daughter for yes. Utah. Yes. Uh, like the way that she played, she's just everywhere. Dynamic. A, yeah, she's just so scrappy, and the ability to like press and get into a tackle yep. high up the field changed a lot. And those oh. two players. I think have changed the tempo for their clubs in a yep. way that I can't imagine that coach Parsons or Harvey don't really, really, really enjoy. I mean, as a coach for me, as I watch it, I'm like, that's the kind of player 
that I want playing in those high areas who can just get on a ball, get a tackle, and create something for my team. Yeah, the substitutes for the Thorns really really made an impact in the game, which is what you want to see out of the players coming coming in off the bench for sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see more as the season goes on, as she gets closer to fitness in this league, um, you know, because it's obviously a more physical league. The games are yeah. more competitive week in and week out. Um, her maybe competing for a starting role, you know, and what that mm-hmm. looks like over 70, 80, 90 minutes. Um, so Absolutely. that that's going to be something to, to watch for sure. The Orlando Pride Houston game, uh, I think pretty standard at this point. Uh, Abagagu with the 65 minute goal. Uh, Orlando able to control most of this match. Uh, Houston has has been struggling a bit. I think eventually Houston will unlock this and they need more of their Ohio is going to be somebody who's going to help um, the them, their ability to just kind of press and, and not have to play so low right yeah. now. The block is so low yeah. that teams are kind of working out how to get around it. Yep. Either that's, can they find gaps in between center backs or can they find, somehow get them daily, get Muse to kind of compact inside and maybe go around. So it's, there's a lot that's coming for Houston, but this game probably wasn't that one uh, for them. I think it's, it's good for them to continue to learn and, and grow as a squad, new coach, new system, Absolutely. new everything. And I mean, even though, New Jersey's new. It seems like this team is more new than, yeah. uh, you know, with adding Shim is a, is a big deal as well. Like this team is pretty, pretty fresh. And so I think Houston's going to have a little bit to grow into, but one Oh victory for Orlando in that one uh, with an, like I said, a 65 minute goal for Bagagoo. Yep. Uh, last game of the week, North Carolina courage, Utah Royals, Utah Royals, Picking up what I think is a fourth consecutive draw. Uh-huh. Um, you know, lots of draws for Utah. Have yet to get the win, but it's I'm sure it's coming. They've got a hard game this week coming up with uh, Portland as well, though. So it's a tough, you know, kind of a tough back-to-back North Carolina to Portland. But draw for Utah versus North Carolina, it's a good point. I mean, it's the first points taken off of North Carolina all season. Yep, I, that one's a really good point for them. Just because, like I, I mean, again, I'm a huge North Carolina fan. I think they play really well, and they've done a good job of winning games and grinding it out. Um, so I think for Utah to pick up a point on them is a really good goal win or tie. Um, I do think Matthias' goal was unbelievable. Um, I mean, it's first time upper ninety. I mean, outside the eighteen, just a beautiful goal. Um, but I think North Carolina did what North Carolina has done the whole, you know, first part of the season. I think they high press, they possess really well. Um, and I think they've just done, I think they, you know, like we talked about with Chicago, I think they were on their third game and they're playing a high pressing Utah team and they are tired. (laughs) And I think that plays a role in part of that game. I think they still played well. And I think they, you know, did a good job overall. I just think that those two goals come from some tired legs. Yeah, it's, I mean, circumstances being what they are with the schedule early on in the league, you know, it's it's a hard one to to do. I think there's there was definitely some changing, you know, a, a few changes. Certainly goalkeeping change is, is a yep. pretty massive one. Uh, so D'Angelo being in the 18, and Roland getting the start. Uh, what, if any, impact you think that might have had, Dustin, on on kind of the back five for North Carolina and their ability to kind of keep closer to clean sheets that they've they've been having, actually? You're, you're talking, uh, sorry, about the, the goalkeeper? Yeah, yeah, for North Carolina. Yeah, no, uh, you know, based on what I was uh, watching, what I was hearing, you know, uh, I believe it was Pat, um, was kind of, or whatever you want, Coach Riley, uh, should you say, uh, believes that he's got two good goalkeepers, you know, and, and I think he wants them to, to be able to kind of compete and, and battle for a spot. And, and um, you know, I think he obviously went with the, the choice of uh, a role in that, that day. And I think that might um, that might affect, you know, some, some mental 
um, thoughts and, and some comfortability from the back four and, and the players uh, in front of you. Uh, but you know, I think I think we all know what uh, what she what she's done in the past uh, in college and professional career, and she's uh, she's been reliable and been a been a good goalkeeper. Um, so I think I would imagine uh, the players in front of her feel comfortable um, with with her in behind. But um, you know, I think overall, I thought you know it, it was both sides. You know, I'd say that the goalkeeper on, on even both sides was was a little bit questionable on the day. Um, but I, I don't know if that took away from, from what the, the team's performance um, and how North Carolina played. I thought North Carolina defensively played played great um, and really applied a lot of pressure on Utah, who you know is a good possession team and, and has a I'm sure a very uh, possession based philosophy. Um, and then you could tell that when they were trying to build out of the back, and North Carolina just really kind of smothered them all over the field. Um, so that's kind of my take maybe on, on North Carolina's defensive mentality on the game. And, and I'm not sure them having rolling and goal really affected their, their game plan. I think for me, like with rolling, I think, you know, especially since I, you know, I played center back a long time ago, long, long time ago. Um, but I think for me, you know, when you have someone kind of that you've been playing with and that you're kind of comfortable with, not that it throws your whole game cause you're a professional and you kind of you figure it out and you move along. But I think I think it does disrupt a little bit of that communication that maybe you have with someone else. So like the goal that uh, Utah got on him, I think it was just a miscommunication. I think, you know, Rowling came out and she was on top of her 18, ready to get it. And then Dahlkemper, her and Dahlkemper. Yeah, yeah, I just think they had a little bit of and it's maybe not necessarily like a big deal overall, but I think that just. 0.1 0.1 second of communication that's off, I think just throws it for a loop a little bit. And I think that was the struggle. I, I think you're right though, Dustin. I don't think, I think the team overall played well. Um, I just think that little slight miscommunication in Roland, I think was kind of what kept them from taking, you know, a two, one game maybe instead of a two, two game. Sure. Sure. Yeah. These, it- I mean, the margins this early in the year, it's kind of a bit of a double-edged sword because yeah. you're talking about we are very early in the season, but they're, you're getting to a point where these points are very much so going to start to add up. And so mm-hmm. when you're talking about a playoff position, which is, I think, for the NWSL, really what you're looking at mm-hmm. uh, with no number one like supporter Shield winner ever winning the actual title, you're looking at can you get into the top four, which means yeah. – Steady, consistent play, making sure that, you know, maybe not be a big deal right now, but, you know, if if these mistakes continue, then I think you're going to see Coach Harvey, Coach Riley really start to look at what what they need from their goalkeeping positions. They, with Smith, I mean, you still, you have Nicole Barnhart sitting on the bench as well. So okay. it's not as if there's a situation where she's got, I mean, there's a massive goalkeeper duel there. So she's got a lot of pressure to perform as well. So okay. I think there's there's a lot on both goalkeepers in this particular setup um, for this particular match. But, yeah, I mean, both teams, Utah executed their game plan, I think, to the best of what they could versus a team like North Carolina. Mm-hmm. North Carolina looked like maybe it was getting a little bit more difficult as the yeah. game went on to actually probably escaped a little bit. Um, yeah. With their yeah. final goal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. With gun scoring in the 80th. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, that's, and it's one, and that's just what one breakout star could do for you. I mean, right. Yeah. Like that's, that's the reason you get her back, you know, from overseas is to hopefully she makes plays like that. And clearly there's going to be many, many more for her uh, in North Carolina to come. Well, I think too offensively with North Carolina, I just think even though they were tired and it was in their third day, like or third game, I think that's the firepower they have. That one moment done. I mean, they she was just working. I mean, as fast as she could, sprinting. And I think her, I think Williams, they've got McDonald. I think they just have a massive front, you know, powerhouse. That so athletic. Exactly. And so even if you're tired, like, Maybe they might have those technical breakdowns, but they're tired. That athletic ability for them just to be faster or whatever it is, have the edge. I think they just have that. Oh, uh, I agree 100% with that. I noticed that from even if it was their third game, I mean, from the kickoff on, it's just like, gosh, they are everywhere. Like, 
Utah's in Utah's not a bad team. Like I said, they're, they're getting good results as a new squad in the league. And, but you can just tell like this maybe veteran team who's been together a little bit, some really good athletes was just overpowering a little bit, especially in that first half. I just, I was really in awe with, with North Carolina's athleticism. Yeah. I mean, with a player like Hamilton, I mean, as good as yeah. Hamilton is the sub that came on for her, was Mewis. So, yeah. like, so, so as good as Hamilton is, Samantha Mewis replaced her in the 66th minute. So like, you're talking about like that's you're just strength on strength when it comes to North Carolina. And so at this point, I think until somebody can prove that they can consistently yeah. play better than North Carolina there, I mean, it's going to be this way, I think, on this podcast and in the league. You know, yeah. Somebody could prove otherwise. Um, that's kind of where we're at. But I do want to underscore the importance that I think no Shield winner has won the league yet. So it's, you know, you can play from the front all you want, but you want to win those two games when it matters most. So, well, thank you guys, Dustin. Appreciate you coming on, joining us. It was great to to chat with you about the league and about the games. Appreciate your input, Sierra, as always. Um, Next up, we've got Garga Caserta with the Portland Thorns uh, talking to us about all things uh, tactical, technical, working, how to improve player performance. A great interview to come. Stay tuned for that. Welcome to the interview portion of Modern Soccer Coaches NWSL Rewind. We have another amazing guest here for week four. Garga Caserta is here with us, strength and conditioning coach for the Portland Thorns, uh, as well as owner of gcstrength.com, doing major, major things in athlete development across the soccer landscape. Uh, Welcome, Garga. Appreciate you joining us here today. Thank you, Cliff. Thanks for having me here. No, so talk to us. Uh, we'll get into the stuff with the thorns here relatively soon, but talk to us uh, about the the business that you kind of have, GC Strength. Uh, it seems like you're doing some really good work uh, in developing athletes in maybe a, a new way that coaches out there aren't really familiar with. Um, well, thank you for that introduction. Yeah, that's very kind of you. The... I think what we're doing, it's, it's not exactly, I wouldn't say it, it's exactly a new way. I think it's basically just, if anything, it, it's simplified. But I think what we're doing a good job at is trying to remove some of the, the distractions, some of the trends, and, and just go right to what the goal is, which is we work with soccer, so we want to develop better soccer players. And when you when you merge those two those two fields of, of soccer and strength and conditioning, there's a whole, there's a lot of, of um, word just escaped me right now. There's a lot of overlapping factors that, that we can use to the, to develop plainly. It would just, just in a moment, a moment ago, just running laps around the field. We're missing a big chance here, right? We're, we have a little bit of time with players. We want them to develop certain physical characteristics, but we want to, them to develop as soccer players as well. So if we can understand what soccer is like as an exercise, so what certain positions um, demands are and what type of, of stress are soccer players under when they're playing the sport, then we can under to develop fitness and to develop uh, athletic abilities. And then on top of that, what is the you know what's the right strength and conditioning interventions that we can apply to those players as well. So with the company right now, we have two, we have two major um, aspects of the business that with GC strength, which is one is our performance management program where we help guide and support athletes developing their, their performance level for soccer. And we say this, we say performance level because we're really trying to get them to perform better by giving them uh, fitness, uh, strength and conditioning, and, and soccer uh, type of development, uh, on the physical side of the, and psychological side of, of things. But we also have 
the sports science part where we're providing them with some things to measure the type of work that they're doing. And, and the goal here is to be able to have, to have some context around what those athletes that we're helping around what they're doing on a daily basis, right? If they're practicing with a youth club somewhere and we are going to help them uh, with some additional fitness type of work or strength and conditioning type of work, we want to make sure that we at least understand the context of their practices. So we'll send out GPS units for them to wear. And so we can get an idea of what their weekly routine of training is like and at least get an understanding of what days would be most appropriate for, for them to do certain exercises. Um, the other side of the business is the coach where we're trying to to really impact the, the athletes in the in the country a little bit more, which is by reaching out to coaches and, and educating them on, on the coaching aspects that involve performance, right? So if we're going to, uh, if I can, if we can help a few coaches understand what their practices do to a player physically and start guiding them on how to maximize that soccer time, how to, to use soccer to develop uh, fitness so that we're getting players that are getting more contact on the ball and more, more time developing as soccer players, then I think we'll, we'll end up having a big impact in, in soccer in general. So those are the two parts of the programs that we're trying to affect athletes and then <clears throat> the coaching education programs where we're trying to affect coaches, uh, w- which ultimately is going to affect the athletes anyway. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, better coaches, you know, is always going to lead towards better players. I mean, you're not just doing it in a, in a vacuum for sure. I mean, I think mm-hmm. a lot of times even, and, I, and being kind of a goalkeeper guy, I would say I would equate it to almost kind of the thoughts of goalkeeping training over the past number of years where people thought it was binary. Like you have to do one than the other, or you do one Mm -hmm. in such isolation. Uh, Talk to me about this kind of just mentality that has kind of been there for coaches, especially in the youth game about this, like strength and conditioning is IE warmups, or it's you go into the gym and you get stronger faster, or, you know, it's, it's just about, your fitness and how far close to 90 minutes you can get um, versus maybe what you're talking about in a more integrated holistic uh, approach. Yeah. I think the, one of the, I've, I've seen a couple of things or, or I've heard from coaches uh, a few things that drove me to, to do this on the coaching education side of things. For example, we've always worked with the athletes, right? But the coaching education is a newer component because uh, of the conversations I've had with coaches. And one, one of the, the two major things, one is uh, pretty much every single coach I've talked to at some point asked me for a warm up. for, and, and it was, and a lot of times the, the conversation started with us talking about how you can use, maybe you can use some small-sided games for, to develop fitness sometimes if you just understand the, the work-to-rest ratios and, and how to manipulate the size of the field and the spacing between the players and the duration of the games and, and what the progressive overload is, right? What, what direction are we trying to increase how many minutes they can play it at or we're trying to increase how intensely they can play the game? Um, if we understand those components, then... Playing the game is going to be uh, an adjusted game is going to be a, an amazing form of developing uh, of fitness development. And after we have this amazing conversation, the the coach turns around and is like, "All right, can you give me a warm up that does all that type of stuff?" <laughs> and I'm like, "No, I can't." It's, I thought I made my point pretty clear here that this is about uh, it's a it's a holistic approach. It's about looking at everything that we do coaching-wise, how we coach soccer players, and just understanding new layers of it. It's not changing the game. It's not even changing your game, your game model and your approach to practice. It's just understanding what your approach to practice does and how to maximize some things and, and minimize others that may not be beneficial. Um, so that, that drove me to, to, to prepare myself for the next conversation in a way and be like, okay, well, how, how do I need to communicate this so that, so that communication, that conversation doesn't end that way. Right. And basically the big point of, uh, that came across in that discovery in the, in the 
research is that the sports science has a has an effect on uh, on people, especially soccer coaches, and I will assume it's it's similar across other sports. That it becomes this scary thing that you either you're doing too much or too little of something, and it, the focus be- starts becoming so much on the too much or too little that we forget that originally what we're trying to do is just do better, <laughs> and. Yeah. It, and we need to get back to that. We need to get back to the the fact that we're trying to get athletes to do things better, not just to be able to do more or less of it. More of it is going to come from being able to do it better. You know, a marathon runner develops their running quality to and their running efficiency to be to improve. Um, soccer players who win games need to become better soccer players. And even if they're if the focus is not one hundred percent on just winning games. Then the, the, the next focus in soccer for our youth players is to develop as player. It has never been to develop fitness uh, because we don't have a fitness problem. In this, especially, you don't have a fitness problem. People playing here are the most fit people in the world. The, no one is lacking fitness in the MLS or lacking fitness in the NWSL. Uh, we need the, the, the game to improve, right? We need players to improve. So anyway not to get on the tangent there, the, um, that conversation kind of developed into this. Like how, how do we go back into number one, just understanding what training does to, uh, to what would certain training exercises do to the players physically? If we understand that now we can kind of map things out and use the exercises that you like to, for your team that are important technically and tactically and even sometimes the psychological component of it, if there's a level of competitiveness on certain exercise, and and just understand the layers of physical development that that exercise is going to give your players and apply them at the right time, at the right places. Um, and then the second part being, once you understand that, how can we start at a safe place and just continue moving forward into, uh, into a progressive overload there? So that basically that's the the drive behind the the business and the drive behind my passion for for this work and and what we're trying to accomplish and i i have no doubt that we're nowhere near having a perfect system but we've been, but we're very aware of what we're doing and able to continue evolving it so that's a cool spot to be at basically no i mean i think it's not only does the strength and conditioning, as you say, make it better? But I think it probably makes the coaches better because you do then in turn have to deal with, is my game model, do I know what my game model does? Do I know what my sessions do? Do I know what my exercises, what the point of them are as opposed to maybe, I think sometimes coaches can get on autopilot. <laughs> and so you're just maybe yeah. doing the things you've done or you're doing the things that you've seen other people do without really thinking about what the effect on the players are. And so joining with somebody like yourself that, you know, has, I think it would help coaches make players better from the standpoint of like now we're dealing with the soccer component as well and not just a fitness component. We've got to be good on all the angles in order for these players to improve. Yeah. That's a good point that you mentioned. I think this is more on the, on the coaching education side of things. This is more about coaching science than anything else. The same exact concepts of coaching science that we study in the strength and conditioning field to to guide our training and to improve how we're basically leading athletes to better motor skill acquisition it's the same components that apply to soccer right especially on the technical level on the tactical level it may be um there it's it's a little bit different because uh, now we're talking about strategy and responding to other people and on the strength and conditioning side it's just you trying to develop you and and the but on the technical side and on practices, I think there's a lot of things to cross over. I mean, w- we talk a lot about cueing and, and how often we want to cue, how often we want to coach someone to, and give them feedback on a certain exercise and avoiding overcoaching and trying to, to communicate 
well enough so that what we say matters and what we say is impactful on a positive way. Uh, all those things are, uh, and, you know, creating buy-in. And, st- uh, and I think a simple thing, uh, you know, as, as far as communicating what the purpose of a, an exercise and what the purpose of a session is and what we're trying to accomplish uh, can go a, hu- a, a huge long way on the outcome of that session. Just because of of coaching the, the that art of coaching of communicating what you're trying to uh, to get the players to do, so they know and they know how to apply their effort. Um, sometimes I I talk about this on the side of if I want you to 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 lift a weight and develop power, so th- I want you to lift that weight with speed, uh, and I tell you that before you go to your lift, and I tell you you're gonna do three reps of, of Three sets of eight repetitions, do them quickly, do them fast with with explosiveness. Then you will do it that way. If I if I just go to you and tell you three sets of eight, you can do it in a million different ways. So that you know, effort may still be there, but you might be taking your effort the entirely wrong direction, and not necessarily wrong. It's just a different direction. But ultimately, on the context of the session, that was the wrong direction because. I was trying to have you accomplish something else. And if we flip that and apply that to soccer, it highlights how important it is for us to really be able to communicate with athletes the the purpose of a certain session and a certain, and, and the exercises in it. So that's, uh, that goes back to the, to the side of, of doing things better, to getting a player to become better, not just do more or less of it, which is the same issue that we have on sports science. In sports science, now we're trying to measure everything and we're trying to look at how much high-speed high running someone has had. And if someone's coming back from a hamstring injury, that is very, you can look at high-speed running as, as something you should pay attention with a hamstring because of the the posterior chain, the hamstrings, the, the, the calves, the glutes, they're going to be very stressed during high-speed running. Um, then... Right now, I think a lot of sports scientists are just looking at we need to do more of this, we need to do less, or we need to do this perfect amount in a week, but we're forgetting to go back and look at how is the quality of running to begin with, right? Because if we look at the if the, the, the calf, hamstrings, that posterior chain gets stressed with high-intensity running, with high-speed running, for a reason. It gets stressed because the mechanics of high-speed running it stresses the, the, the chain of muscles. So... If we can improve those mechanics, you'll be less stressed or a, a better distributed stress or um, just better efficiency on the movement. And that alone is going to have a much higher impact on the athlete than them doing a couple hundred extra meters of it or not. So I think that, we'll, that, that comes across. We can look on the sports science, on the strength conditioning and the soccer coaching. We need to get, we need to really get good at and how to improve players, how to teach the techniques, how to communicate effectively um, first, and the amounts of it second. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it seems to me in learning how to improve your specificity of the communication as well as the concise nature of it, you tend to get people who are in in – I can be guilty of this as well. You're trying in trying to be specific, you're pretty long winded and in trying or maybe in trying to be concise, you're not giving an appropriate amount of information to get out of an exercise that you're looking for. And so that specificity, along with the cohesion of your thought, the you know concise nature of what you're trying to get out. Um, certainly can improve. I mean, when you said that about, uh, you know, lifting the weight eight times i mean it went right into my mind about you know coaching a session and now you're talking about the the hundreds of different ways uh, you know if you take flying changes for example right i mean it, it's a game that every youth player has always played i mean it could be played in thousands of different variants but until you specify what variant you're looking for what you're trying to get out of then at that point now you can start to look at, is this session going to be effective to achieving the goal that I'm looking for? Talk to us. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a huge role. I mean, like that's a lot to, 
to think about as far as altering and changing the way we help improve athletes. Uh, I mean, now moving towards the thorns, what is it that day to day that you kind of, how do you impact the team with what you're talking about kind of day to day? Um, yeah. So this is where it gets interesting, right? Because I can't do this. Obviously I have a, a role and my role is to have to bring a, a, a certain amount of knowledge or, or one of those layers into the picture, right? And my layers on the performance development, which means uh, whatever things we can do to, to individually improve the player and, and be a uh, physical tact, uh, technical or, you know, any of those, uh, those components. Uh, if you ask me about the tactical side, I don't even try to get in, in Mark's and, and Mark, uh, Mark's head or, or Rich's head and, and Sophie, all the, the technical coaches that have been um, working on that side. But, but I do have to understand what our system is to, to then provide feedback on the, on the physical development, right? And how, how we're going to, to be able to sustain that game model. But anyway, my point here is that the... Um, Every, one, every single one of our coaching staff members bring a layer to this picture. And obviously it's led by Mark and it's only because Mark is open to listening to each of these coaches' feedback and, and what they have to add that this system works. But um, we work together in a, in a really, good, really good manner. It doesn't mean that we always agree on everything, but every single day, we're looking, we have a, a, set, a plan of what the session is supposed to, to be like. We have a, a more general plan for the entire year, basically, on when we're going to practice, when we're not. And we basically have our schedule, schedule pretty dialed in. Um, when we look closer into certain times of the year, then Mark has his targets of what he's trying to look at, at developing within our game model. And then when we zoom in, uh, even a little bit closer in a week, we have developed rhythms of what days are going to be uh, more demanding on certain types of things. So when we're looking at each of the days of the week, we qualify them as, um, you know, if the first day after our recovery days is going to be a re-entry day. And, and being a re-entry day to us, there's a few principles that apply to, uh, to that. And the principles are guided, for example, one of the fitness principles or, or the, phys the physical principle is that it, it will not be a day that we're going to have a, a physical overload of anything. Mm -hmm. So we're still going to practice. We're, we, the Being focused on a principle that we won't uh, develop anything physically doesn't mean that we won't train. It just means that we're not going to use an exercise that, that overloads a certain aspect of the physical development. Um, and then we also have a few other uh, aspects of it, of certain exercises that we found to be appropriate for that day. And then the next day we have another plan and the next day. Uh, since the whole staff knows what, the, what that is and those rhythms, they come prepared to, to share, you know, and, and, and add. On a, uh, then on a daily basis, we're going to, we will meet, we'll have a, a medical, our medical meetings, we'll have our, our technical meetings where we finish the, the, the very final details of uh, the, the session. Um, everyone involved, all of the technical staff, and, and I'm there to, to, to also help as we make changes to the, to the session on making sure that physically and the performance side it meets those, those demands. And we end up with a final product. Of, of for that day with everyone's contributions and uh, before we hit the field. And then we go meet with the players, share the purpose and, and the, what we're trying to accomplish that day and, and we'll hit the field in practice. So that's kind of, that's kind of our system and our, on our approach and the communication between the staff led by Mark, but, but, but with the contribution of everyone in the staff ends up being a, a, a really powerful development, a really powerful input every day so it, i mean it sounds like there's obviously mark as the head coach there is in charge of all of this but it does sound like there's a fair bit of you know input or intervention that you are given a bit of power that you're given to to basically say what is or is you know what you think might be best for any 
given individual player or the team as a whole. I mean, talk to us about how your relationship with the trainer works and how you guys kind of maybe communicate things. Um, and then how do you work that into a, a technical staff and convincing coaches maybe that today is not that person's day or it is or how, how does that kind of communication with you and the trainer and the technical staff then kind of work itself out? Yeah, so by now it, it happens automatically basically because we've had we've built this culture around this, right? And I think the culture has been built because everyone has been able to speak and their voices have been heard. So everyone feels like they can speak, and which is very important. But um, throughout these meetings that I'm that I'm talking about, there's a few things that we got to prepare, right? So I'll meet. I'll usually meet first thing after I get into the office and is done, athletic training staff with basically with any, any of our medical staff that I need to meet with and, you know, ways to, so that I can get an update of where the players are at or any players that have been getting treatment and uh, any updates on injuries and the, on the medical treatment side of things so that I can, can either continue the planning uh on a return to play, for example, a, a return to play system for a player, uh, or just to provide the feedback then to to the tech. If there is, if there are any players in the session in the practice who have certain limitations, so once the the head athletic trainer and I have finished this conversation and we we really try to dive in into all the all of the the aspects of the feedback that he's given me based on whatever soreness or pain or whatever it is that is going on with those players that that he found it was uh, was important to talk about if they first is to, to identify if they're safe to participate in the session or not if they're not then they're just not participating and we're very cautious on that we we feel pretty good about pulling a player back for the for the player safety because so many times in the past we have limited a player for, uh, during one practice that we really believe that saved them from being limited for two, three weeks if if that whatever they were feeling developed into something more of an injury and I think the technical staff has seen that as well to the point where they're, they're, they feel the same way. If we feel at all cautious that we need to pull someone back from a practice they they're on board right away to to have the player pulled back too, and that's been very consistent, even with, or you know, some of the key players that obviously we wouldn't we want them there and we want them playing. And we want yeah, to absolutely. maximize their time with the team, but ultimately it's a lot worse if we lose them for extended amount of 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 practices and games and and weeks. But after that meeting, we we both go and meet with the rest of the technical staff on a, on a medical meeting. Mostly we meet with Mark there, but the technical staff are present so they can share their thoughts and concerns as well. And I, what that ends up creating is that we come in with our, with our perspective and our perspective is very educated. We come in from the, with the side of, we understand these injuries, we understand the, the, the training, the physical components. So we're giving a professional opinion. And then um, a technical staff member might come up with something that is mostly based on some common sense, and we might be blinded by you know systems and and what we basically what we have studied, and they just they might just put it out there. Hey, wouldn't it be better to not you know stress this player on this or or that? So th that little input, even if it's just occasionally uh, we get it, it still makes our system re redundant enough that it, it keeps us from from making mistakes from making more mm -hmm. more severe mistakes so after basically if you think about it we have an athletic trainer who's looking at some things and building his opinion about it of the best way to, to go then him and i will meet uh, or her and i will meet and we'll we'll come up it will be another layer of looking over that again and and making a decision if that should continue and then we'll meet again with the technical staff and they will or get it, their eyes on it as well. And so by the time we're making a decision before practice, we've had three, basically three runs at it just to make sure that 
that at least we're comfortable with our decision of of where we're going uh, with that and <clears throat> the really fortunate side of things so far is that we've been able to do that and i know that that's not the reality at every club uh i'm not I'm not pointing fingers at the nwsl i'm just saying this it's not a a reality at every club in the world in soccer um and sometimes and it's not a, a matter of who's to blame it's not always just the head coach who who just doesn't trust the work and and is making a mistake of not listening to it um it, sometimes it may be the problem of people that the people that are doing the work are also maybe closed-minded and, and can communicate around it so we've been very fortunate to do that and, and it ends up helping us quite a bit i mean how much of that comes down to i mean obviously you guys won the championship last year um it, on field results three points at the end of the day how much of that do you attribute to what you guys influence and input versus i mean the fact that you guys just have kind of world-class players who day in and day out might be able to get you a result now um, just out of whatever system they might have been in yeah uh, I, was, I was about you as you're asking like how much impact i was going to take full credibility for a championship <laughs> there we uh, go but <laughs> no right the, i you think <laughs> yeah um no we we actually we did well and, and not to say that we didn't have problems and made mistakes i made a mistake throughout the process early on in the season and and it costed a few games to uh to one of our players of an important very important player the i think i think this system this communication it was very impactful we went into the cha championship with a full squad of players um there was one major injury uh who basically the player was out for the whole year and and it's, uh, it's something that it's a little bit more complicated for the players that that were available were dealing with injuries that they could rehab and get back on the field basically we had the full squad of players coming into that championship game uh, so i think that's impactful right to be able to to pick your best players and go into the most important game of the year the um, the second part of it i think is that system led on to us uh as we're com communicating with the players towards the end of the season um it's it's the same with any any league right towards the end of the season players are breaking down they're exhausted mm -hmm. it's been a long year it's a it's an eight month um season uh playing every single weekend and the games just beat players up like we we can prepare players to play games as much as we want but ultimately at this level the games are too hard the players break down a little bit every time they play so we have to manage that. Uh, but our, the feedback from the players towards the end of this season last year was that they were feeling great. They were feeling fresh. They're feeling some of the best they felt um, in, in any of previous seasons that they've had. So that was really good feedback for us that the system that, that we created was, was at least working in that way. It was doing what we were trying to do, which is have the players feel ready to perform by the time they, they went into the game. Uh, so, so that part is good. Um, lost track of the second part there of the of the question, the uh, the impact right that we had. The um, I think the, the other part then is that yeah we get you we get to let players practice. I thought last year was really cool to to see that we we had to make some changes. We, we made mistakes, like I mentioned, I made some uh, mistakes individually working with a player, and and I think we we made mistakes as a team and had to change halfway through the season. And uh, when we were able to make those changes, then we took off and, and made a run for a championship. And that's huge. And that's big credit on Mark, obviously, leading those changes on the, on the development of the team. But, but it's also on the culture of us being ready to, to work together and just take it on and, and, and keep making those adjustments. I think that's the, the big part of this. The big message on the system and what, what, ma what makes it a system and makes it evolve is that we're ready to look at the mistakes and try to learn from it. Right? I think that's the most the most valuable part of sports science, for example, to begin with. It's just for us to learn from the things that are going on. So if we go and and have certain trainings and and get a, any type of negative response from that training, be it we just lose games or players get injured, 
we're going to go dig in and, and try to find out what led to that, what, what created that. You know, we had an injury. We're going to go look and see what are all the things that, that we did that we can control that may have impacted that injury. And that's not a matter of figuring out who's to blame for the injuries. Really, it's taking ownership for the injury to begin with right away. You know, and looking at the, an injury that happened and thinking that there's, there's got to be something that we did or could have done, that we did that led on to that injury or that we could have done that, that would have maybe prevented it from happening. So well, we've learned a lot throughout the last uh, two years, a lot throughout last year. And, and we keep on moving forward from that. I think that more than really having the, the answer for how exactly we impacted the, the team, I think it's how that impact came about that was the, the bigger question, which is it came about from us taking a look at anything that we thought was a mistake and trying to really understand that, uh, uh, how that was built and improve it from there. Building a culture to, that accepts failures that accepts mistakes that accepts adversity and then being adaptability adaptable to that adversity uh certainly seems like a, a common thread that might go through your squad so i appreciate you uh giving us the insight um especially i mean that last portion i think is something that all players all coaches could take away and say how do you go about really re looking at yourself that that introspection um whether that's as a group or as an individual so i appreciate your time garga uh thank you so much uh you know certainly maybe uh later in the year we'll we'll have you back and and see how things are going so appreciate you coming on absolutely it's my pleasure talking to you again clifton and and we'll have to continue catching up whenever we get a chance This has been the NWSL Rewind. Have an opinion on the games? Let us hear it on Twitter using hashtag NWSL Rewind. And check us out at ModernSoccerCoach.com.